Last Sunday, uh, Pastor Dean wrapped up our series um, called Sojourners, finishing the study of 1 Peter. And this week, we're almost to uh, Thanksgiving already. Uh, can you believe it? It's already after the middle of November. And um, throughout our study of 1 Peter as a church here, we touched on a, a variety of topics, including all of the things that Peter talked about as he wrote to the church, like the, the difficulties the hardships, the persecution, and the suffering that they would experience and endure. Yet Peter reminded his readers that all of this is only temporary. For those of us that are what he called in chapter 1, strangers in the world, because as followers of Jesus, we're only journeying through this world and we're not home yet. But here in our world, there always seems to be a variety of difficulties out there, all over the place. And in these past couple of weeks in particular, some of those difficulties have even hit very close to home um, in California in general, and also even closer to home here in this area, in these areas. And, and as Pastor Dean and I talked uh, over the last couple of weeks about the Sojourner series ending and about the upcoming holidays, we thought that the topic of Thanksgiving would be an appropriate one. And uh, today I'm not just talking about the holiday, but about giving thanks. And... Um, I think we would all agree that we're supposed to be thankful, that we have a lot to be thankful for. I think we could probably all list off things that we can and should be thankful for. But I began this message today and preparing for it thinking about the idea of why should we be thankful? Not just what do we have to be thankful for, but why? What's the reasoning behind it? And so I gave this message the title, An Invitation to Thanksgiving. And you can see what I did with the word there. <laughs> um, it, again, it's about our giving of thanks, not just the holiday, even though the holiday is coming. And so today I want us to take a look at a portion of one of the Psalms of David, Psalm chapter 34, uh, verses 1 through 8. And so I'm going to turn there and hopefully you can follow along in your own Bible or on your tablet or smartphone or whatever you use to read the word of the Lord. Um, and we're going we're gonna to read the first eight verses of Psalm chapter 34. And David writes this, I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. That's David from Psalm 34. And for today's message about thanksgiving, or giving of thanks, I purposefully chose a psalm that isn't normally considered one of the psalms of thanksgiving. If you're doing a study and you look up, what are the psalms of thanksgiving? Or you Google it and there's different ones that will show almost immediately. Psalm 34 is not usually one of those. Um, but I think we can learn some lessons about giving thanks from this particular psalm. And if you do any type of a study on the psalms, you'll easily realize that there's different types of psalms and different genres within the psalms. And in the book of Psalms in the Bible, there's 150 total Psalms, but they're from a variety of these different types and genres. 
and I jotted some of them down. Some are psalms of hymns, things you would sing. Some are laments. Some are psalms of thanksgiving. Some are psalms of confidence. Some are psalms of remembrance. There's also wisdom psalms and kingship psalms. And these are just the major types or the genres of the psalms. That's not even all of them. And and Psalm 34 might generally be seen as a psalm of praise or a song, much like we were just singing some songs this morning. It's one of those hymn psalms. But there's a close connection that can be made between a lot of the hymn psalms and psalms of thanksgiving. And I think Psalm 34 does this. A good way to describe a thanksgiving psalm is this. It is praise to God for answered prayer. The giving of thanks is praising God for answered prayer. And a typical Thanksgiving psalm begins in a similar way to the hymn psalms. And you'll usually find something like this. The psalmist declares his intention to praise God. The psalm will continue as it thanks the Lord for answered prayer, and it will bear witness to God's work. The psalm will then even call on the rest of the congregation to join in in giving thanks to the Lord. And this then is followed by the account of God's salvation, And the remainder of the psalm continues to praise the Lord and call on others to praise Him as well. That's a general idea of a typical Thanksgiving psalm. And if you go back over, line by line, the verses that we just read from Psalm 34, that's exactly what we find in those first eight verses. So I think it's easy to say that Psalm 34 is a hymn psalm, but it's a hymn of thanksgiving. It kind of catches on two of those varieties or genres of the psalms. And you might be wondering, Pastor Adam, why is this important? (laughs) I think understanding the Psalms is important because the Psalms appeal to a variety of things in us. They appeal to our intellect, to our emotions, and to our wills. And all three of these aspects in us as human beings, they're intertwined in some way in every single one of us. One author writes, I read this in his book about the Psalms, Tremper Longman, as we read a Psalm, We learn about God and His care for us. We learn about ourselves as well. We understand our situation better because the whole gamut of human experience is expressed in the Psalter. So by reading the Psalms, maybe you could realize this way. Our intellect becomes informed. Our emotions get refined. And our wills get direction. We get directed from them. And so back to our Psalm, Psalm 34 for today at least. Um, for what we're going to call, I guess, some lessons about thanksgiving. That's what we're going to be looking at today. Psalm 34 is this Psalm of David, and some Bibles will even note a little something just before verse 1. You know, sometimes there's those headings put into the, into the Word about what the Psalm is about. It's about one of David's life experiences. And David had these numerous brushes with death, if you remember King David. He faced lions and bears in the wilderness as he took care of his father's flock as a shepherd. Um, He dodged spears that King Saul threw at him one time uh, when Saul was in a jealous rage and trying to kill him. And one time when he was on the run because Saul wanted him dead, another time when he was trying to track him down, David hid out in the city of Gath. And we read about this in 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. And when David was there in Gath trying to hide, the king's leaders of that town realized who he was. And David became afraid And he did a very unusual thing. And if you remember the story, you might remember this. He acted insane. 
to protect himself. He, he started throwing himself against the wall in the city gate, and he started foaming at the mouth. And when the king saw this, he told his advisors that he didn't think this guy is a threat. And he said, just let him go. He said, I don't need any more madmen in my city. <laughs> that, that's, that's kind of the, the story of what went on. And once again, David had this close brush with death, with people that wanted to kill him, to get rid of him. And he was spared. And Psalm 34, it is said, is written by David after this incident. That's where this comes from. And right at the beginning of the psalm, in verse 1, as David writes, we see that thanksgiving involves an explosion of exaltation. An explosion of exaltation. Verses 1 and 2 read this. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Right at the beginning, David's heart is bursting with this adoration for God. And he erupts in this, what we're calling an explosion of praise. But like most true worshipers, David has a sense maybe that he wants to express his worship in a deeper way. He feels God deserves more than he can give with his own words, his own songs, his own praise. And he has a partial solution for this. He expresses his desire for all believers everywhere to come and magnify the Lord together, to join in and do this together. And he invites everyone to join him, to join him in this expression of worship. Verse 3, Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. David realizes that when we join our voices together, we can more fully express our praise to God. You may remember one hymn writer who put it this way. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise. David is saying the same thing, right? He wants everybody to join him in this corporate explosion of exaltation to God. So thanksgiving involves an explosion of exaltation. But we also want to remember to answer the question, how often are we to bring our praise to God? How often? Well, David says, at all times. And his praise will ever be on my lips. This might even sound familiar to those of us who spend a lot of time reading the New Testament, as a lot of us do. Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, so often we reserve our praise for our Sunday morning worship, for a place like this. And during the rest of the week, we might pray, we might read the Bible, but is praise always on our lips? And of course, the rhetorical answer is no. And this is a matter of training. It's a matter of rethinking, of developing new habits. I recently read about one idea as I was thinking about this. And maybe you can think about this too, just a thought. But write yourself a note, and maybe the note would say this question, have I praised God in the last hour? And then post that somewhere where you'll see it often, or maybe post it in a couple of places. And you'll probably fail often at first, as I'm sure I would. <laughs> but as you begin to remind yourself to praise, it will eventually become more natural to you. 
Have I praised God in the last hour? It is said that it takes about 28 days to develop a habit. Of course, that's if you're doing whatever it is daily. (laughs) Um, uh, But this is a part of being transformed by the renewing of your mind that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 2 and that God wants us for us to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to be trained to think differently. And the praise of the Lord is always on David's mouth because David's words reflect his heart. David even says, my soul will boast in the Lord. And David is engaging in worship here and it comes from the totality of his being. He says it comes from his soul. And that kind of worship, it's attractive. And it kind of becomes a witness as well. And as David even talks about others, we'll hear about it and they'll join in and they'll rejoice with you. And so naturally, David turns to this exhortation, offering this invitation to draw other people in. And David, his invitation, it's a call to a continual worship. Remember, it, it's at all times and it will always be on my lips, he says. And it's a continual worship that lifts the heart of others up with the goal of drawing them into this chorus, you might say, of delighting in God and worshiping Him. And that's a thanksgiving that involves an explosion of exaltation. That's why I called it that. Next, the thanksgiving here involves what we'll call the power of personal faith. Next, in Psalm 34, David praises God for the power that he experienced in his personal and intimate relationship with God. That's what David sees personally because God is not some far-off deity who's out there somewhere that we don't experience. David had cried out to God. David had received an answer. He knew about deliverance and the presence of God. And out of this, his heart was filled with praise. Verses 4 through 7 read, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who look at him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Some of the Psalms praise God for his glory in creation, the world and what's in it and what's out there. This one praises him because of the meaning of what's come out of the relationship that David has with God. And there's power in that because God delivers not only from the things feared, but even from fear itself. God removes shame, David says. God protects. God provides. And above all, God is attentive to us and he answers our prayers. And it's kind of amazing to see how David recounts what the Lord has done for him. And I think this helps us as we want to remember to answer the question, where does our giving of thanks originate? Where does it stem from? Where does it come from? For David, this psalm includes what what I might call one of his confessions of faith, maybe. David talks about how God not only rescues him from his enemies, but also from his fears, from being ashamed, from the troubles around him. David mentions that he sought the Lord And he called out. Sought in verse 4, it means exactly what you think it means. It means to ask of or inquire about. But he also mentions that the Lord heard him 
And heard here is a little different. The word means not just the physical act of hearing with your ear, but it means that he received an answer. There's a response that the Lord heard him. There's an action in that. And so David asks, God answers. There's action in both of those. And and it's out of this David telling about his faith that our giving of thanks originates. Because there's really no substitute, if you think about it, for personal or firsthand private faith experiences with God. You'll never build confidence in God by wishing for it. You'll never build confidence in God by studying a bunch of religious data. You're not going to build confidence in God by listening to other people describe how God delivers them. You build confidence and personal faith in God when you cry out to Him, when you venture out in faith at times, and when you personally follow His leading through His Holy Spirit. As one author wrote, I found this quote this week, when it is just you and the Lord in the personal furnace of faith, faith grows real. When it is just you and the Lord in the personal furnace of faith, faith grows real. That is where our giving of thanks originates. That's where it can stem from. That's where it can bubble up from. So Thanksgiving involves an explosion of exaltation. Thanksgiving involves the power of personal faith, we're saying. And Thanksgiving also involves an invitation to everyone. Verse 8 reads, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. After bursting forth with praise, after telling about these personal experiences that he's had with God, David gives an invitation to anyone and everyone who will listen to him. He says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And this might very well be one of the most famous verses in all of the Psalms. You've probably heard that that verse, that phrasing, taste and see that the Lord is good. But taste and see doesn't mean check out God's credentials. It's not that kind of a seeing Instead, it's a much more warm invitation. Something like, try this. You're going to like it. (laughs) I know you're going to like that. You ever do that after you've eaten something good? You want someone else to try it, right? It's not check out the credentials or the recipe, but taste it. See that this is a good thing. It's as if David is saying, I can tell you about God's goodness. Other people can tell you. You can read about it. You can sing about it. But there comes a time when you have to taste it personally and see that God is good beyond your wildest dreams. Maybe I'm putting a little too much into his words, of my own words there, but that's what he's getting at. That's the idea. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Because when we take our, our first step of obedience and following God, we cannot help but discover that he's good. And when we begin our Christian life, our knowledge of God is partial and it's incomplete. But as we trust in him more and more each day, We experience his goodness and how good he is and how he provides for us and how he cares for us. So this call to taste and see, we're not just to believe in God's goodness, but we're to experience God's goodness. And his goodness includes, as David talks about, his deliverance, his gifts, his care, 
And David follows this call to taste and see, even with some comfort, you might say, because he says, blessed is the man who trusts in him. The word blessed or blessed means a lot of times what you think it means in the Bible. In this instance, it's happy. Happy is the man who trusts in him. Because true happiness comes from surrender to the living God. But I think here we can learn something from David, from his boldness. Because I think we need to say to people, you think what you have is better than what Jesus can give you, but you're wrong. We don't say that a lot. We can say to people, God can give you so much more than what you're clutching for in your arms. God may ask you to give something up, but whatever it is, it isn't good for you anyway. That's something we can learn from David, from a boldness here. Because we need to start inviting others to come and taste God's goodness, just like David was doing in this song. Because I think we need to remember to answer the question, who is supposed to take refuge in the Lord? Who is supposed to take refuge in the Lord? Anyone. Everyone. Anyone can taste and see that the Lord is good. Everyone should taste and see that the Lord is good. And with this incident in Gath, God has been stretching David, teaching him to trust in him, to rely on him, to take refuge in him. And God came through, as he always does. Of course, in his timing, not always in my timing. (laughs) And David's excited, excuse me, to share this experience and to encourage others that they can trust in the Lord. He calls out across the centuries, you might say, to you and to me, to us today, taste and see that the Lord is good. Have you tasted? Have you found that you can take refuge in the Lord? If not, step out at your next opportunity. Step out in trust at your next trial. Because I think you'll find the blessing that he talks about of the person who takes refuge in the Lord. And remember, this is for anyone and everyone who who will do this, who will take refuge in the Lord. And and, and now that we're working towards the end of our time here together, we're at a place, I think, where we need to ask the simple questions. Now what? What does this mean for me? Why does this matter? Well, I'm thinking that this is not something that we just learn about and think about and then go home and keep to ourselves. (laughs) And I think, and I put in your outline, that now it's time to extend the invitation. That's what David does. That's what he encourages us to do. If you have tasted and experienced the goodness of God, invite someone else to the table. And I think that many of us do not usually find ourselves in the habit of inviting people to God's table. And maybe it can just start with inviting them to church or to an event or to a ministry opportunity. But let me ask you something. How many of you at one time visited or started attending church because you were invited by someone? Because of that personal connection, a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a coworker? Can I, can I do something I normally don't do? I'll ask the question again and I'll say, let me see a show of hands. How many of you went to church or started going to church just because you were invited by somebody? Look around. 
a lot of us. And for me, myself, yeah, it may have been, well, we always went to church because my parents did, and they started going when I was about three, and I didn't have, but I went because my parents brought me. <laughs> I was invited and taken by somebody, all of us, I think, at one point in time. And I think that we need to develop what I have in the past called, and I still do, a, a culture of invitation. I think we need to talk about Jesus in church just like we talk about a great restaurant we went to or a great movie that we saw or a good book that we just read. Because no one finds it strange to tell others about a great meal, right? If you had a good meal at some new restaurant or your favorite restaurant, usually you want to tell people about it. You'll talk about what you ate. You'll tell people about what it was. You've got to try the chicken. You've got to try the steak, whatever it might be. And nobody thinks that that's strange. Nobody thinks it's strange if you post something on Facebook, right, about some great experience that you had, some restaurant you went to. Or if you went on Yelp and you posted a review, nobody thinks that that's strange. But I think we need to do that same thing, and we can apply this to our church. If someone asks you how your weekend was, you can tell them, man, it was a great weekend. Kids' soccer game was awesome. Church was cool. It was a good band, good music. There was a good message. There's this great new associate pastor. You should come hear him, right? <laughs> no, don't say that. Uh, <laughs> you can talk about the plaza time. Man, the kids had a great time playing. Well, I got to chat with some friends and have a cup of coffee or some juice or whatever it is. You should come sometime. Come with us. We'll go out to lunch after. That's it. It's an invitation. You don't have to have all the answers to every question that you think ahead of time they might think of. But we can start talking about God and church and our events around here just like we talk about anything else that we love. Restaurants and books and movies or whatever it might be. And we can apply this to our church and it's just an invitation. And especially now as we're approaching the holidays because this can be a very lonely time for a lot of people. Basically from this week on, Thanksgiving through Christmas, through the new year, it can be a very trying time for many people. And we have so many wonderful things here at Nova that will be happening that you can invite them to outside of just Sunday church. I mean, next Sunday we have, it's Thanksgiving weekend, but we're still having a worship service. So Thanksgiving worship, that's one. We have many things. You can read about more of them in the bulletin, but we have all of the Christmas and holiday events. Campfire Christmas is coming up. Our choir Christmas program. We're going to have a special Christmas Eve service. And there's other things as well. Lots of things that you can extend invitations about. Invitations and about. one other aspect of this, I think, as we think about extending invitations, is that we need to remember to answer the question, who can you invite to God's table? Who? I touched on it earlier, but anyone. Everyone. Who can we Anybody. One of my best friends in high school was Dan. I remembered this this week. Uh, I was a sophomore when we met, and he was a junior. Um, we, and we've lost touch over the years, as, as people do, as I'm sure you know. But I remember his story of what started his journey of faith. He, he was a believer when I met him already. But earlier in high school, um, he was at school one day at lunch, and he was sitting next to a girl. There were a bunch of people there, but um, just hanging out at lunchtime. And he was sitting next to her when a friend of hers came up to talk to her. And 
this gal who walked up was telling her about the church and the youth group that they were going to have that night. It was youth group night at their church. And as Dan told me this story, she was just spending a couple, three minutes, a short time, telling her friend about the youth group and inviting her to come that night. And after a few minutes, um, she was about to go, but she turned to Dan, who just happened to be sitting next to her, and she kind of mentioned almost in passing, uh, oh, you can come too if you want. (laughs) It was one of those situations, and she walked off. But I remember that Dan shared the story because as he tells it, looking back about it, his reply was, I was just waiting to be invited. And for Dan, this simple possible secondary, you might even call it invitation, that's what began his journey of faith because he went to that youth group and he went back and he got connected and he got involved and he gave his life to Christ and eventually became a leader in that ministry and went to a Christian college. And it all started with an invitation from somebody who was just sitting somewhere next to two people that were talking, thinking, I'm just waiting to be invited. (laughs) So remember to answer the question, who can you invite to God's table? If you're a follower of Christ and you have dined at the table of God's goodness, then you have news to tell and not just on Facebook and Yelp. And I would encourage you to identify a person who has not yet experienced this, to tell that person from your own personal experience, from yourself, how you have tasted God's goodness, and then invite them to the table. It's a little bit of a scary thought, but I can, I, I, I can give you one thing to remember as you think about doing this. Remember that you don't have to make the meal That's God's job. You just need to invite them to the table. It's a a bit of a simpler thing, I think. And so I I think it's good to remember who can we invite to God's table. I need to be reminded of this too. I think we all do. And so um, as you go out today, I would encourage you, go back and read Psalm 34. Think about David. Think about how he explodes with praise. Think about these ideas of, of what God has done for him. And think about how he tries to invite others to join into this praising of God, this giving of thanks. And and think about that, especially this week with Thanksgiving coming up. I know we're all busy. We really are, myself included. There's so many things going on, traveling, family, food, time together, trying to keep everybody happy. (laughs) But hopefully we can continue in our Christian lives as we go out of here and we can praise God for who He is, for what He has done, for what He is doing. And we can invite other people along the journey to do the same. Those are some lessons about thanksgiving.